0: Thank mm-hmm. you. Hello and welcome to the third ever episode of Ted Quarters, the podcast. I am off to a terrible job of publishing these regularly, but I hope I have a good show coming up today. I have Kyle Boddy from Driveline Baseball talking about pitching, and Mark Canna of the Oakland A's talking about food a little bit later on. This episode was delayed because I spent the bulk of the last two weeks covering spring training in Phoenix, Arizona, and I want to talk about that for a minute. I love covering spring training in Phoenix, Arizona. I I, I love covering spring training everywhere. I should say, uh, but I especially love covering spring training in Phoenix, Arizona, and I put this take out there before, and I get that if you have a team, if you want to go to spring training, you probably have a team, and and you're going to want to go see your team, so maybe this is all useless, uh, and, and maybe this is, I don't know, too inside baseball, uh, pardon the cliche or the pun or whatever that is, uh, but... This is my uh, Judgmental New Yorker's ranking of the four distinct, what I would think of as four distinct locations for spring training, which is one in Arizona, the entire Arizona Cactus League area, and then three sort of separate areas in Florida, all vaguely connected. Um, but for, uh, you can't do a ranking of two. That would be boring. Uh, Phoenix is number one, and it's pretty straightforward. It's that getting around Phoenix people in Phoenix will complain about the traffic, and people in Phoenix will complain about, like, a 25-minute drive, but getting around Phoenix is so absurdly easy that a lot of times, if you're traveling in off hours, it feels like you put in a, go- a trip into Google Maps, and it's, like, 35 miles, 12 minutes. And for for my purposes, and I think for anyone just sort of trying to tour the facilities, which are gorgeous, uh, it's it's super fun and super easy to be able to get anywhere in the entire Phoenix area and Phoenix to me is Tempe and Scottsdale and Goodyear and Glendale it's all Phoenix shut up with that uh and so you can get all over it uh in like a half hour and if you drive for like 40 minutes in any direction you are in like Snoopy Saguaro Cactus Desert with the Roadrunner going by uh the number two spot for me Uh, would be the West Palm Beach area in Florida, now that the Nationals and Astros play there. It's a quick trip to to Jupiter, where the Marlins and Cardinals are. It's a reasonably short trip to Port St. Lucie, so uh, that's where the Mets are. You can get to five teams pretty easily. Plus, I enjoy West Palm Beach because, uh, and again, this is me looking down from my high horse in New York City. Uh, West Palm Beach has like one block where you go out and walk around and there are bars and restaurants and stuff. And that one block has, like, little individual neighborhoods on the block, and I find it adorable. There is a little artsy section on the inland side of the train tracks, and there's, like, street art of, I want to say, John Lennon, Kurt Cobain, Bob Marley, and Jimi Hendrix. And there's a hip little coffee shop that is actually called Subculture Coffee, because that's Florida's approach to subtlety. Uh, they, they don't do that there. Uh, the Red Sox Twins and Rays play in the southwest part of Florida, in Fort Myers and Port Charlotte, and I have never been there, so my ranking for that area would be not applicable. I would like to check it out, and maybe it's cool, Uh, but I'm usually trying to see a bunch of teams, and staying there really only permits you visiting those three teams, maybe a fourth if you're willing to drive up to Sarasota to see the Orioles, but I would put that in the category of my number four area for spring training, and that is uh, an easy number four. It's Tampa, Florida. And I will say that credit to Tampa, it has the best food of any of these places. That matters a lot to me. I don't think it would be a terrible place to live. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, the problem is that the food in Tampa is good enough that I am always compelled to sort of set up shop somewhere there and try to use it as a base for traveling elsewhere. And that is just a dumb, 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 dumb Dumb idea. If you were to design a prison tailored specifically to torture me, it would just be the inside of a car in Tampa, Florida. It takes if it takes forty minutes to get from one side of Phoenix to the complete opposite side of Phoenix. Forty minutes is basically a single wrong turn in Tampa, Florida. Uh, and and this is gonna get weird now. Uh, but I I believe that there are regional distinctions in how people treat strangers. And I don't think it says anything about those people because uh, part of why I believe that is that I am a New Yorker and I know that in New York you treat strangers as though they do not exist. The policy is you ignore every single person out on the street unless they are in some sort of dire need. Um, At at least that's me. I think some people would probably ignore them even if they were in dire need. Because I think that space is just at such a premium uh, in New York and and probably throughout the Northeast that that you kind of have to pretend you're in your own little bubble and you have more space than you really do. And so, so you just, you default setting is do not make eye contact. If you make eye contact, pretend you didn't. Uh, Phoenix, people are very friendly. They're not like Kansas City friendly. In Kansas City, when people say, how you doing on the street, they actually want to know. They'll be like, just all right. Well, you should have some bird ends. And at Phoenix, it's just more of just like a casual, hey, what's up to strangers. But a lot of like sort of people want to make friends with you, which normally I would be uh, a little bit, uh, I don't know. I Again, like I said, anyone in New York, when people start talking to you, you just don't, I don't have money, please leave me alone. Um, and and in Phoenix, so it, it, it sort of, it, it, it ruffles my feathers a little bit at first, but if you're traveling alone, it's not so bad to wind up talking to people and you find out interesting stuff about Phoenix, maybe. And more importantly, most importantly, uh, in Phoenix, recently, I was eating dinner at a bar and the man next to me said, I ordered way too much food. Uh, Do you want to help me out with these pork rinds? And so someone gave me free pork rinds is really what this boils down to. Uh, Whereas Tampa, Florida... And you can you can go there and verify this. I promise you this is true. Uh, everyone looks at you like they want to murder you or sleep with you. And I don't mean separately. I don't mean they look at you like they want to murder you or they look at you like they want to sleep with you. I mean they give you this one look that is like a sultry, angry side-eye. And it says... Yeah, you can come home with me, but I can't promise it'll end well. Uh, And this is like everyone. This is, you see an old lady going into church, and you see a kid playing catch with his dad, and you see the gas station attendant, and the barista, and they all give you this deeply... Deeply unsettling glare like they're sizing you up for something and I feel like it has something to do with the fact that they all had to get to wherever they were and getting there most likely involved driving in the Tampa area which is a process that brings out only like the darkest and lewdest thoughts of people. Before I go on, I want to say, please uh, rate, review, subscribe. I know I have done, again, a bad job of keeping this podcast updated regularly in its earliest days. I'm still getting in the flow of it. Uh, But my man Shamik, who I mentioned I think on the last show, uh, gave a shout-out on iTunes. Extremely nice praise for me and my work in the podcast, and it makes me feel really good. So thank you for that, and if you're out there uh, and you're not Shamik, uh, please put your iTunes account to Good use, or Google Play, or or wherever else you might listen to this show. My first guest today uh, is a guy named Kyle Body. He is the founder of Driveline Baseball, which is a uh, training center for baseball players, which has been making a lot of news lately. And he joins me in the first ever segment of interesting people willing to talk to me. So Kyle, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Tell me what it is you do. Uh, pretty much the tagline is you know data-driven baseball stuff. Uh, the reality is we want to be the money ball of player development, essentially. How do you get into that line of work? I was a really shitty college baseball player, so okay. I wanted to figure out why that was. and uh, started coaching high school and figured I owed it to the kids to know a little bit more about how to actually get players better. Uh, and how, how did you start learning? Uh, I was a nerd in college, economics and computer science, so I just took a pretty, just um, read all the research journals and stuff about it, tried to figure out if there were any answers in previous scientific workload, and uh, it wasn't that much, honestly. And so... The first thing you're trying to to approach was just velocity. Was it just trying to get guys throwing harder or trying to prevent injuries? Yeah, yeah, the first one was prevent injuries, yeah. We had so mostly rehab cases. Uh, But then through that, we kind of got into performance training and velocity development. Second, yeah. And
0: how did you start... Uh, how did you get from coaching high school and trying to help high school kids to now you're just saying you have a roster of what 15 major leaguers who come to you
1: yeah about 15 big leaguers and about 150 minor leaguers Uh, and it's about um, really just a couple kids in high school ended up doing well in college Um, had a blog on the SB Nation Network when when it was new which was nice and gained some exposure through that, and then guys like Trevor Bauer and Caleb Cotham and Ryan Buckter took chances, um, and then those guys got a lot better. Two of them made the big leagues, and then Trevor obviously also has been in the big leagues for a while, and then you become an overnight success in eight years, essentially, that way. Trevor
0: is kind of, uh, at least probably the name most closely associated with, with Driveline. Uh, how did you hook up with him in the first place, and, and what did it, what is it about him
1: that, that stands out? Yeah, in uh, 2012 I gave a speech in Houston, presentation on just how we went about training players and it was at a coach's conference. He happened to be there and it was a lot different than all the other speakers. And so he came up to me, asked if I could fix his uh, high-speed cameras. I was able to do that. Four months later he had like a... 70 RA and AAA and was just throwing 88, he decided to give me a call, and we talked, and that offseason he trained with me, and uh, 2014 spring training, he was throwing 97 and 99, um, so if it was, uh, and then he wasn't shy about telling people, you know, what he thought about me. He wasn't? Me. No, it's weird, yeah, you know, we're very similar in that regard. <laughs>
0: uh, so so one of the things you recently said, uh, I saw you tweet about Trevor online, is that compared to most of the athletes you've tested, uh, he's not... Naturally gifted. Yep. How do you get from not? Because uh, some people might take that as a not. Sure. We're. Uh, I should say we're talking uh, behind an Indians game, so yeah. uh, Jose Ramirez just had
1: a triple. It looks like a triple. Yeah, it looks like it. Yeah, there it is. Uh,
0: so, yeah. so you could say, oh, he's not a na- he's not a gifted natural athlete. I think for a lot of players that might be a not, but. For people who
1: are also not gifted natural athletes,
0: that is extremely inspiring. That someone might
1: someday throw. Yeah, I think that's. Um, I think that's what people I wish knew more. You know, he's truly probably the guy in the big leagues that belongs there the least. You know, he can't jump 20 inches. He runs really slow. Um, he's pretty strong, but it's all through just brute force. And he's just re, he tests really low on all athletic markers compared to every other pro we have, and most college guys, honestly. So what are the keys for a guy like that
0: to get himself throwing 98?
1: Yeah, he gets the most out of his body. You know, That's what I would say. He does a really good job of just maximizing the, the athletic ability he does have. So... He has enough arm speed to create 95 miles an hour velocity, but only if he maximizes 100% of it. He he gets the he has the highest ratio of getting the most out of the least, I guess. Baseball's sort of a very uh, set-in-its-ways sport. And when you guys came
0: around, I remember you know, there was a little bit of backlash. Like, who are these guys? Uh, don't throw weighted balls. I mean, they're going to hurt these guys. Sure. Guys trying to throw as hard as they can, they shouldn't be doing that. Uh, has the league
1: sort of started coming around? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's changed... Guys, started about 12 years ago, and really since 2009 we've been working with guys, but um, I thought it would take a lot longer. And now you have teams like the Indians who are fully on board, and they're long tossing, and they're throwing weighted balls. All their guys use it, you know, and it's crazy to see that. Um, so, of course, it's a copycat sport. They do it. You know, the Astros win the World Series, and then they have very advanced cameras, so now they're being rolled out to a lot of faci- um, a lot of teams. And, uh, yeah, the success of the Indians at developing pitching has really spurred it on. Uh, the weighted ball thing is, again,
0: something you're pretty closely associated with. I know it's not all of yep. what you do, but uh, the first time I had heard of that was with... Uh, Day Sung Koo. I don't know if you remember. <laughs> the Sung Koo. He oh hit a triple goodness. off Randy Johnson, and he yes. was carrying a weighted ball in yeah. his pocket. With his, yeah, yes. with his jacket on. Yeah, with his jacket on. While and, smoking darts between innings, probably. <laughs> um, and I remember. <laughs> yeah. I remember that the uh, even at the time there was like a, a like oh this is just something that Japanese pitchers do. Uh, this is not something that or uh, he, was, like, he was Korean. But yeah. But yeah, yeah, something so. Korean and uh, Japanese pitchers yeah, did. Um, summer and summer. I know Rollins Chapman does it yep. as well, but. Uh, it seems like it makes so much sense that throwing a weighted ball would help you throw a lighter ball. Why didn't there was resistance to
1: that? I don't know. It's weird because when we work with teams, we'll talk to coaches that have played in the 70s and maybe early 80s, and they're 60-some years old, and every single one of them says, oh, yeah, everyone, uh, everyone did this back in the day. You know, it so it we really just un- went away at some point. Yeah, I think it was really the 90s and the pitch count era, the Mark Pryor pitch count era, where everyone thought less is more. And really we've obviously seen that to be um, not the case. And so I think it was that really weird time period in the 1990s to early 2000s, like the baseball prospectus era, the Mark Pryor era, where we thought we could like quantify a lot of that stuff and uh, really backfired in a lot of ways. And you, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you preach like max effort really. For the most, yeah, in training for sure, absolutely. Um, yeah. Is a, but not in the game. Not it depends on the person. You know, a guy like Syndergaard it probably doesn't make the most sense for him to be all out all the time. Um, guys who have like really naturally gifted profiles, you know, they're they're just creating a huge amount of stress. So I agree with uh, like Dr. Fleissig when he says like Noah Syndergaard and a, like highly gifted athlete should probably back off. But for guys like Trevor, it's just he's not going to have the command he needs and he's not going to throw well unless he is always max effort. And his stress levels are so much lower than a guy like Syndergaard, where he can do that. So it just depends on the athlete, I'd say. You mentioned Dr. Klesig, who works with with James Andrews in Birmingham. Uh, Obviously,
0: they're coming at it from sort of the medical side of things. You're more coming at it from the the training side of things. Do you work with doctors at all, or or kinesiologists, people like that, to
1: to make sure what you're doing is not gonna get the guys hurt? Yeah, yeah, we have a great uh, kind of a board of advisors, in a sense, where we have people like uh, Dr. Vin Santoro and a bunch of other doctors who are um, really auditing a lot of our work. We have kinesiologists on our staff. Uh, we have a full-time doctor of physical therapy who works for us, and uh, it's a really great sounding board. Um, and we get a lot of pushback, which is good. We want to have open debate, um, and it's been it's been a really good it's been really good for us. And people like Dr. Fleiss, think we talk all the time. And we also have very similar equipment to Dr. Fleissie. We have the similar, he and I are the only two people that have pitch effects installations indoors, and we also both have a biomechanics lab where we screen our pitchers. So we often use many of the same tools uh, just to maybe accomplish two different things. Uh, One of the
0: things I was talking to, uh, Adam Ottavino, who was the guy you worked with this this off-season, he was talking a little bit about pitch design. And that is to, I've never pitched in my life,
1: but it's a totally foreign concept to me. What is that, what does that mean? Yeah, so Adovino's big thing is, his, his velocity is plenty good. Um, for him, he just needed to dial in his commands and get a more credible second or third pitch, depending on how you want to see it, um, that hitters would swing at. Because this swinging strike rate at his slider is uh, league lowest because no one can hit it. And he wanted to have a more credible pitch that was similar in between his fastball and the slider, essentially. Um, and so he developed a cutter. And he did that through the aid of uh, like to cameras and, and technology that we have, but also Adam has too. But he just wanted some expertise on um, some guidance. And so we had a great relationship with him uh, doing that, both at our facility and uh, remotely. So if a guy says, I want to I wanna cut it, what is the first step? Well, what do you look at? Yeah, we take all the footage of him. Uh, we'll pull up all this pitch effects data and StatCast data if he's pitched in the big leagues. Um, Adam wanted to develop a cutter, Trevor wanted to develop a slider this offseason. So we'll pull up all of their pitch effects data, uh, see uh, where they're at, and then what we think fits best in between those metrics based on our data science team and our sabermetricians that work at Driveline. Um, and then in discussions with them, we'll come up to a conclusion and then we'll take video of them, and say like, okay, here's where we're at and then we'll review it on our pitch effect system and our Rap solo system and say how far away are we? you know, from our first attempts. And then we'll just keep continue making iterative progress every single day uh, as they work on their feel see the video and the data and hopefully after three months you know they've they've uh, achieved their goal and so a lot of that for the picture is uh like almost trial and error just working on grips and releases and things it's, like that yeah exactly and then what really connects it is a lot of the even for a guy like trevor um the data is not that useful because all it's doing is describing what's happening what they'll need is something like a camera that's a really high speed camera that can really capture the release where their fingers are uh, because then that bridges the feel to the data and so adam has a camera and so we have one as well and Trevor has one. We were actually three of the first people to, to acquire them and now more of the MLB teams are purchasing these really high quality cameras. Uh, this off season you got probably your
0: highest profile new client, uh, or I guess not yeah, this off season. Right, uh, and and Adovino, I just mentioned really broke, sure. broke the news on Instagram he
1: did, yeah. that Tim Linskin was working with you guys. Yeah.
0: Uh, how did you How did you hook up with him?
1: Yeah. So as a, the, Adovino and Tim are good friends, they played together in the Cape Cod League, which mm-hmm. is kind of how that ended up um, going out. So Tim, I've had his number for several years. Uh, I haven't reached out because I'm sure there's a ton of people who were. And then Tim Everyone kind of, wants a piece of Tim exactly. Yeah. yeah. And he's a local kid, so that was a big part. Um, but then he reached out. And uh, he had purchased a bunch of the equipment um, through his agent, and he said, you know, if I'm going to do this, I really want the best guidance. And so Tim started coming in three days a week, and then four, and then five, and then until he basically was there every day. He was there seven days a week for two straight months, uh, all in his own accord, honestly. And uh, he was an incredible worker. It was really fun to work with him.
0: Yeah, he was a guy whose mechanics were sort of in focus. Uh, I mean, really long before you came, right? It was like eh, such a different type of delivery. Did you learn anything from working with him, like about you know, how he succeeds?
1: Yeah, so I was lucky enough to move to Seattle uh, his junior year of college, so I got to watch him pitch in college and then all the the, the entire saga of the whole thing. And so I had been a little bit familiar with how he had gone about his business. And so with Tim. It wasn't trying to reteach him his mechanics. You know, he's so finely tuned. We just had to get his body in a situation where he could do 90% of what he did with the Giants at the top of his career. Um, the hip surgeries and stuff have left him pretty immobile. So how could we fix that? And that was actually most of the work we did. Very little weighted ball work with him. We wound up looking yoked. He did. He did. Yeah. Yeah. He came in pretty big. He was two oh six when he came in and uh, cut down significantly. He was lifting before he came to us, um, so he was really strong, just a little overweight. And then you know his natural body is not naturally two hundred. So when he cut weight, he looks pretty good. Yeah. And
0: I guess the last question, and and I know you done, normally work with extremely talented uh, professional athletes or future professional athletes, but for. A weekend warrior with a noodle arm. Yep. Uh, what is there that he or I could do to throw a little harder?
1: Yeah, I feel very acute. I feel. I feel very attacked right now. I feel like I still pitch in adult league. So. You know, I, I no, like I, I play as well. That's perfect, there we go, perfect. Yeah. So it's for us and the listeners out there. Um, uh, really getting, like, plyo balls and doing band work three days a week, uh, two to five minutes a day. You know, none of us are actually going to do a huge amount. But uh, I think for the adult league is just getting some consistent work in three to four days a week for, like, three minutes, honestly. Just keeping the arm going is a huge, is a huge factor. And so uh, heavy ball work and band stuff. That's it. That's all you gotta do. So if
0: I get myself a heavy ball, throw it against the wall a few times a week, I will throw better than I do now. Absolutely,
1: 100 yeah, percent. All right. Definitely. Well, that's perfect. Thank you so much. Yeah, you bet. You bet. Ted. Thanks for having me out.
0: Okay, so for the next segment, I spoke to Mark Canna, first baseman from the Oakland A's. In addition to playing professional baseball, Mark keeps an excellent Instagram account at Big League Foodie. Uh, and because there are not a ton of professional baseball players eager to talk about food, I grabbed Mark for this podcast and I am reverse engineering the segment name. I am going to call this. People in the sports world talk about food. People in the sports world talk about food. Uh, So I guess uh, first things first is uh, where's a good place to eat in Mesa, Arizona?
2: In Mesa? Or anywhere uh, near here. Yeah. uh, I don't know about Mesa, but um, my most recent... Trip was to, uh, it was on my birthday like a month ago, uh, to this place called The Farm at South Mountain. Mm-hmm. That's really good. It's, uh, it's like farm to table. The restaurant's actually on a farm and they, they do all farm to table, and it's like, you know. A lot of seasonal, fresh ingredients, and upscale, and it's it's really nice. When you're playing and and trying to get out and find good food,
0: what do you do? What how what do you how do you look places up? How do you find places out?
2: Um, just uh, go on the internet. It's a lot of googling, and uh, I have a couple like sources, like whether it's word of mouth or you know on Twitter, like food and wine and all these magazines like come out with like top 100 restaurants um there's a there's a site and a instagram page called with the locals that i really like it's kind of like a little hipster-ish and that usually usually like it puts on there the type of places that i that i like to go to and um, yeah, I mean, it's just wherever. Um, my wife's just as into it as I am. Nice. So uh, a lot of times she'll text me, you know, oh, you got to go here when I'm on the plane, and and I'll get into a city, and I'll just, you know, she does the research too for me. You know, You've also. had the
0: opportunity to play in the minors in, in Nashville and in New
2: Orleans uh-huh. and then
0: in... in obviously in the bay area and the majors a pretty good set of food cities to be to be stationed in
2: yeah yeah i've been really lucky Uh, those are all great places and obviously i've tried to take advantage of it as much as i can and uh and in the big leagues you get all the, the big markets and it's there's a lot of good places too.
0: How do you, obviously you stay in shape as a professional athlete, right? How do you balance the desire to eat all the food you want with, you know, that professional need?
2: Yeah, well, I don't think, uh, you know, people think of a really nice restaurant as like just steakhouses and stuff like that, and that's not necessarily what I'm going for. It's kind of a, uh, a lot of the best restaurants, like sometimes I go to Good restaurants. The best thing I eat is a vegetable. Um, so it, it doesn't mean that everything's is uh, super rich and super um, yeah. you know fatty loaded, and fatty, and, and, un- and, and super uh, like yeah. It's it's a lot of times the type of restaurants I like to go to has a lot of healthy stuff and it's and it's actually pretty light. How about in Oakland?
0: I know you went to you went to Berkeley right for,
2: mm-hmm. for school. So you must know the the Oakland food landscape real well. Anything in particular um, there you like? Well my favorite one of my favorite restaurants in the entire Bay Area is um what's it I'm mm. drawing a blank? Is in it's in Berkeley, uh the Alice Waters place. Um, has a French name. Okay. Uh, wait. I'm sure I could look it up. Why am I drawing a blank on this? <laughs> Chez Panisse. Okay. Chez Panisse is, is like, one of my favorite restaurants I've been to. Um, And then Oakland has a ton of good spots, too. Anywhere, like, College Ave in Oakland and uh, Lakeshore. There's a lot of good, like strings of restaurants in Oakland and Burmese food which they don't have most places have you been to like Burma Star
0: any of those places yeah
2: I've been to Burma Superstar I've been yeah. to Burmese Kitchen in San Francisco it's awesome love it
0: uh, is there any city that has stood out where like New Orleans people know right but yeah, has yeah, there yeah. ever been a place where you know or hmm. place where you're excited to go either in the majors or minors that maybe people don't give credit to as a, as a great place to go
2: Hmm. Um. I don't know about that one. Obviously, it's like New York and San Francisco. That's not really what you're looking for. I'm always excited about Boston, just because uh, I love going into those the, the North End and just finding a good Italian restaurant. That's obviously like touristy, but. You know, something about a classic, you're just getting like some spaghetti or yeah, some like. Yeah, or something. yeah, yeah, just something classic with a nice uh, bottle of red wine. And it's just, that North End is super like, just like comforting for me. I don't know, it, it makes you feel, feel good over there. It's like. It's, uh, it's, it's like comfort yeah. foodie kind of Italian stuff. So. Yeah, that's what I grew up with. So.
0: Oh yeah. And you travel a lot as well.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. Dude, I I, know, I was just looking through your Instagram, so mm-hmm. I saw like you were overseas eating. Yeah. Television.
2: Yeah, I mean, I
0: do you do you plan? Because I know when I travel, like I kind of plan all of where I'm going around my meals. Is it, oh, is it like yeah.
2: that for you? Yeah, we we my wife and I had talked. We we're talking about it today, or not today, but this off season. Um, like, because we went to Maui, my wife was pregnant for most for the off season, but we did a baby moon in Maui, and we were talking about how all of our vacations seem to turn into like food tours. Yeah, like we're just the entire time we're there, we're like planning out our meals, and every all the activities kind of like are scheduled around the meals as yeah. opposed to
0: the other way around. I always find, especially in New Orleans, it's yeah. like I need to find a way to kill three hours until I like, can eat again. Yeah, 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 that's,
2: how, that's the same for me. Yeah. Like, do you cook at home at no? all? We do, yeah, we so cook fine. all the time. Um, that's something my wife and I really like to do, which is, Go on the internet, like Pinterest or Food and Wine or something, and uh, find a recipe that looks good that you wouldn't normally make, and and spend like an afternoon just cooking and hanging out. It's a good way to just hang out and relax. Uh,
0: Any specialties of yours?
2: Uh, This off season, I got pretty good at making uh penang curry like fish dish. That's, That's really involved, yeah. right? Uh, not as much as you think. It's okay. really not that complicated. I, I I don't make my own curry. I buy curry paste. Um, but that was inspired by I had this dish at Mama's Fish House in, in Maui and I was like, alright, I gotta try to see if I can get as close as I can. Like, I'll never make it as good, but, but uh, yeah, that was something I, you know, Whenever I get a new recipe, I find it takes me two or three times to to kind of get the handle on it. So I I made that probably a few more times than my wife would like me to, but just so I could make it as good as I could.
0: So do you feel like you have it mastered now?
2: I think so. It's been a while now. Uh, You know, I'm on a hiatus right now. Baseballs. you know taking up most of my time.
0: Do you find, do you get an opportunity while you're playing, like, do the good meals come on off days, or or do you find, like, late night, places? I know the hours baseball players keep are so odd. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's usually off days, or uh, one of the rare few, um, like, day game getaway days where we stay at home Though, like where there's like two series at home and the last days, is a, a day game you get a free night we'll, we'll definitely like take every opportunity we get it's like okay what's the schedule like this home stand let's make a reservation for this night and go from there awesome thank you so much yeah All right, that's
0: the show. Thank you so much for listening. Again, uh, if you're enjoying this, please rate, review, subscribe on all uh, podcast platforms. Hope to have another show coming up soon. Peace out.